Hi, friends. I hope you're doing well as you log on to the podcast. I've been wanting to write on the topic of deconstruction for a couple of years, but I wanted to do it justice and I wasn't sure that I could. So I'm taking a deep breath and diving in today. This one may be a bit longer than the usual Pondering Purple episode, so you may want to pour yourself some tea or coffee or go out for a nice walk with your earphones in and settle in to listen. A couple introductory notes. The goal of this episode is not to disdain those who are in the process of exploring their family's faith. The goal is not to offer a three-point plan for rescuing a struggling faith. The goal of this episode is to begin to explain a growing trend towards deconstruction among people raised in intensely Christian environments, to answer some questions and provide some context. The goal is also to introduce you to some of those who have deconstructed or are in the process of deconstruction, to give a face to the often maligned practice of questioning one's faith. There is an extensive collection of brief first-person accounts at the end of the article this episode is based on. I won't read them all for this audio version of the article, but I will link to it in the show notes so you can head over to my website and read them all there. I really encourage you to make that extra effort as their stories will say so much more than my words can. So, without further ado, let's dive in. This is Deconstruction, the Crucial Questioning of People Raised in Christian Environments. Deconstruction. It's a word that has become part of the Christian culture war lexicon in countries like the United States in recent years, fostering intense, sometimes savage interactions between two general factions, and I'm painting broadly here, those who see it as a step people from intensely Christian backgrounds need to take in order for their faith to become authentic and personal, and those who consider any degree of deconstruction to be anti-Christ and dangerous. What exactly is deconstruction? A definition of the word will vary depending on the mindset, purpose, and impetus of the person using the word. To some, it means exploring the most minute details of historical Christianity in the hope of exposing that faith itself as a fraud. To others, it means dissecting one's passed-down faith in search of fallacies in order to rationally embrace or reject it. To others, it means stripping down a passive, inherited faith to its historical roots and theological core in a quest to understand what it was truly meant to be. The latter is the kind of deconstruction I'm referring to here. Imagine a modern home built on a historical frame. The process of peeling off layers of wallpaper, scraping off coat after coat of paint, tearing up linoleum and removing drop ceilings, it all leads to a clearer understanding of what the structure used to be before generations of homeowners with different visions and agendas added their disfiguring touches to it. This is the form of deconstruction I see most often. It's the kind of deconstruction I actually support, 
not for the cynicism or rejection that make it necessary, but because of its potential for rebuilding. For so many people I know who were raised in intensely Christian environments, faith feels like a decrepit building they're being forced to live in, whether it be out of loyalty or obligation. And for many of those, deconstruction has become an almost compulsive quest to excavate the building's bones. Though not without spiritual risk, deconstruction can foster an intentional, meaningful kind of faith rebirth that is more intimate, sincere, and grounded than the kind that languishes under layers of centuries-long remodeling efforts. Done right, deconstructing is not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as the saying goes. It is sifting through the muddy bathwater of cultural, social, political, and philosophical Christianity in search for the baby, so to speak, the original meaning and manifestation of faith in search of the theology Jesus preached and embodied, in search of something that is more than conflicts, posturing, and power, in search of a bedrock that can't be altered by cultural whims or historical variants. Deconstruction is, as Josh Packard puts it, unbundling faith. Think in terms of the bundles you might get from your cell phone provider— You want a phone plan, they ask as you walk in the door, and you suddenly feel a bit like the field mouse watching a hawk circling overhead. Here's a great deal, they say. We'll bundle the plan you wanted with an Amazon gift card and one year of free Apple TV. What you wanted was a phone plan. What you walked out with was a manipulated investment in an online store and a subscription to a channel you'll probably never watch. That's bundling. And the same has become true in many manifestations of the Christian faith. So when the bundle of unrelated elements becomes too weighty or confusing, unbundling becomes not a choice, but a necessity to the person who doesn't recognize what he or she signed up for. Part 2. Why the Intensity Those who have engaged in conversation about deconstruction with me have brought something intense to the process. There's an obvious reason for that. Children raised in ministry have steeped in the gospel all their lives, but they've also seen behind the curtain of faith facades and been witnesses to the artifice, the workaholism, and sometimes even the hypocrisy that is hidden from the world but in plain view to them. They've seen the conflicts in Christian circles and the contradictions between public words and private behaviors. They've questioned the cultural impact of what they might call colonial missions and sometimes seen a pursuit of significance or a quest for power trump devotion to loving as Jesus would. Perhaps the greatest motivator of deconstruction I've seen among the adults raised in ministry that I work with is unchristlike Christians and the warped motivations that seem to contradict the basic tenets of what the Bible teaches. Today's young adults are viscerally attuned to justice and equity. I'll add that in children of cross-cultural missionaries, these traits may have been amplified by their exposure to global humanity. So, MK or not MK, when people raised in intensely Christian environments see some elements of the Christian world appearing to endorse bigotry 
or oppression, they logically blame the God those people are purportedly serving. After countless conversations with teens and young adults raised in the church, I've discovered that the politics of faith can play a huge role in their perception of Christianity. And I've seen it be central to their abandonment of faith as well. They simply can't find a coherent connection between what they were taught growing up in Christian environments and what they're seeing embraced today by some of faith's most vocal proponents. The political manifestations of modern Christianity and the cult-like adoration some of its members show for demonstrably morally corrupt public figures, whose behavior, by the way, seems to fly in the face of everything they were taught about the character of Jesus, it's just baffling to them. So, they doubt God, because His heart is supposed to be the foundational factor that shapes the Christian faith. When they witness cruel and offensive attacks by Christians on social media, they blame God. When they feel abandoned by their own parents for the sake of the call, they blame God. When their former communities shame, reject, and isolate them because of their sexuality, they blame God. When their suffering is met with absolute absence of empathy and comfort, they blame God. When they witness abuse being swept under the rug, they assume God Himself is okay with it. After all, if His people are doing it, it must be God-sanctioned, right? The power of human behavior to elevate or destroy the faith of those who are in a season of questioning cannot be overstated. Because of the complexity and acuteness of what people from intensely Christian backgrounds have experienced, they're perhaps even more prone than others to engage in some serious deconstruction, and they tend to bring a heightened fervor to the process. To understand this fervor, we need to consider the context in which they grew up and the world that shaped them. To the average church-going child or teen, faith is just one aspect of life. To the children raised in the world of ministry or in intensely Christian environments, faith is intimately woven into every facet of their existence. It's the job their parents do. It's the heartbeat of their community. It's the source of unachievable shoulds they carry like boulders on their shoulders. It is the motivation of the family's sacrifices and image managing. It's the reason they may move so frequently and suffer innumerable losses every time. It's the extra shame added to failure and the eternal value added to success. To people raised in intense Christian environments, faith is not just a series of activities and engagements. It is the spine around which their lives are built. It is the purpose, the demand, and the reward of their existence. Many of the questioning people I engage with have absorbed the faith of their parents during childhoods spent in opaquely Christian circles. Like their family name, it became tied to their identity. It's all they know. But for some, there are questions they haven't found answers to yet contradictions they can't make sense of yet, and it's gotten to the point where they can't live with those discrepancies anymore. 
but they can't just casually begin second-guessing everything they've believed for so long. They need to be propelled over the first hard step of deconstruction by something that is more intense than their worry about being labeled disloyal or heretical. In order to cross the threshold between the stability of passive believing and the disorientation of in-depth questioning, they will typically reach for one of three galvanizing emotions. Anger. Like anger at the pressure to perform, at the apparent contradictions between public and private behaviors, at the pain inflicted by Jesus' followers in what was supposed to be the safety of Christian communities. Fear. Like fear that they've bought into a lie, that they've been manipulated into believing an illusion, that the movements faith has launched have done more harm than good, and that they've somehow been complicit in them. And defiance, the kind that can tell detractors and well-meaning prayer warriors that they have no right to opine about what's happening— that it is a necessary step they're not afraid to take, and that no passive-aggressive attempts to steer or deter them will succeed. Anger, fear, and defiance are powerful forces. And because they're the impetus that can allow a steeped-in-Christianity person to push past the resistance to doubt that they've been taught all their lives, those emotions can make the entry into a deconstruction phase look belligerent and aggressive— It can feel wounding to those who love the deconstructors the most. Yet, in many cases, that entry needs to happen with that much bluster in order for the person tethered to a lifelong contextual faith to have the courage to step back in the hope of seeing more clearly. It isn't only what she does on Sundays that's at stake. It's the very marrow of her existence, her worldview, and sense of self. This is where the intensity of deconstruction comes from. They're pushing through so much to allow themselves to doubt that the horsepower behind it sometimes seems off-putting or combative. For the parents and loved ones of people raised in intensely Christian environments, deconstruction may look like a step toward rejection of everything upon which they've built their family's life. It may also cause feelings of failure or shame, particularly as others in their circles learn about what's happening in the family. I've seen the same tragic scenario play out again and again. Jesus-loving parents who are so disturbed and overwhelmed by their child's deconstructing that they choose not to have meaningful conversations, awkward debates, or even basic connection with their kids. They'd rather sever ties than have to walk alongside their children through the arduous and unpredictable journey toward answers. Deconstruction is not easy, not on the people engaged in it and not on those who love them. It may be uncomfortable. It may be painful. It may be lengthy and inconclusive in the end. But I believe that if it's happening, despite the agony, effort, and losses associated with it, that means it must be absolutely essential to the deconstructing person's life. If you love someone in the process of deconstruction, I urge you to consider the following incomplete list of postures. Initiate communication. 
intentionally interact in conversations and activities unrelated to the spiritual realm. Don't get angry. Don't belittle. Don't make ultimatums. Ask the deconstructing person if talking with them about faith is okay and what the rules of engagement should be. They may actually ask that they be the ones to bring it up, so every conversation they have with you isn't tinged with the worry that you might raise the topic. Remember that this person you love is so much more than his or her faith. That remains true even if faith is crucially important to you. And finally, if your love of and delight in that person is dependent on a shared faith, question yourself, not them. Part 3. What is the outcome? There's no sugarcoating it. Deconstruction, for some, can lead to a temporary or permanent walking away from the family's faith. I've known people raised in Christian homes whose journeys have led them to agnosticism, atheism, or even other religions. I've also seen deconstruction lead to a different kind of heart-held Christian faith. Maybe the renewal of convictions that had gone stale. Joining a denomination more in line with what they read in the Bible. Finding a more private, experiential connection to God. Or even coming to a faith not expressed in traditional church gatherings, but in a life devoted to embodying God's heart for this planet. Some of the most vibrant believers I've ever met have gone through the process of deconstruction. Some of the most vibrant non-believers I know have, too. Yes, there is risk to second-guessing faith. I'll dare say that there is also a huge risk to staying enmeshed long-term in a religion that has lost credibility to us. The risk is something the deconstructor is willing to accept, either because faith as he knew it has become a toxic thing, or because she's looking for the kind of truth that can stand up to scrutiny. Despite the very real risk of deconstruction, there is also the potential for something beautiful and redeemed to be born of the process, even if it doesn't perfectly match what a person's parents taught or expected. And yet, what is faith if it is merely adherence to an inherited religion? What is faith if it is just a veneer to avoid offending those who fed it to us in our youth? What is faith if it is embraced out of expectation instead of true belief? What is faith if it is a social-cultural identity and not a core relationship with an unseen God that transforms, motivates, offers inner healing, imbues life with meaning, and quenches our human thirst for and dependence on the divine. To be honest, I've engaged in a bit of deconstruction myself in my lifetime. The first round was when I was a teenager and young adult. I realized in those years that disentangling myself from traditional Christian pressures and shame would allow me to live less traumatically as the survivor of various forms of abuse. It took some serious psychological intervention and deconstruction to realize that my doubts were made of man wounds, not God failures. 
my most recent digging down to the bones of Christianity, was prompted by an urgent desire to understand the nature of current cultural trends in which faith is brandished as the rationale for abuses and other unchristlike behaviors. I needed to redefine for myself the core of who Christ is, why he came, how he loves me, and how I can best embody his traits in the spaces I occupy. My years of conversation, exploration, and study have led me to a clearer understanding of God and allowed me to eliminate, without qualm, many of the man-made attributes and purposes that contradict his heart, the heart so accurately displayed in the life and actions of his Son. In some spheres, Christianity has become known as a hybrid of moralistic demands, disdain for others, hypocritical posturing, and power-conscious ladder-climbing. I understand the doubt of those who have observed these traits up close. Those cannot truly be the outward expression of authentic Christian faith as described in the Bible and embodied in God's Son. I am comforted to know that there are throngs of people out there who quietly live out their faith as God intended, with intentional compassion, attentiveness to others, adherence to biblical values, and tireless effort to become more like the Jesus with whom they share an intimate, life-giving relationship. So, If you find yourself in the process of peeling back layer after layer of flawed historical add-ons to a faith you don't trust anymore, please keep looking for the humble, the helpful, the doctrinally sound, the spiritually coherent, the outwardly generous and inwardly peaceful. It exists. I promise. You just may have to dig a little more or deconstruct a little longer. To find it. Part 4 Complex Journeys. When I told a friend that I was going to be writing on this topic, she immediately asked what my suggestions were going to be for those engaged in crucial questioning. But honestly, deconstruction is too personal for me to offer a three point guide. It's too deeply influenced by myriad elements of the deconstructor's life, and it'll take on the form of all the unique joys, sorrows, achievements, failures, hopes, and disappointments of his or her personal experiences. So, instead of offering steps and processes, I'd like to end by inviting you into the experiences of some of the people raised in intense Christian environments who have deconstructed their faith. Some of them are missionary skids, some of them pastor's skids, some simply from deeply spiritual homes. Their names have been removed, but the intensity and purpose of their deconstructing is no less striking. You'll note that their motivations for deconstruction tend to fall into three major categories, all worth exploring as we ourselves try to make sense of modern Christianity. Those categories are, one, having suffered neglect, abandonment, or abuse at the hands of believers who were entrusted with their protection. Two, witnessing firsthand the hypocrisy of personal behaviors and political allegiances among believers they respected. Three, 
understanding God to be an uncaring, dictatorial, distant, and demanding being whose expectations they could never satisfy. You'll need to click on the link in this episode's notes to read these stories on my website, as they're too lengthy for me to read here. Or you can just go to michellephoenix.com and click blog, then look for the article published on January 31, 2022. Please read these accounts with empathy and with a desire to understand better the heart and processes of those who have chosen the arduous task of peeling away the layers of a faith they thought they knew in order to uncover what lies beneath. Thank you so much, friends, for listening in today. All my contact information is in the show notes if you'd like to continue chatting. And if you'd like to leave a like or a review on the podcast's page on whatever platform you're using, that's always helpful for traction in a very crowded field. As always, I'd love it if you shared this podcast and the associated article with your friends and family in ministry, even with pastors and the missions committees of the churches you attend. There is so much for all of us to learn about people raised in intense Christian environments, and I hope this is a helpful place to start some important conversations. Wherever you are today, my prayer for you is that you will begin to better understand those who are doubting or deconstructing, and that you might also reflect on all of the bundling of the faith you hold to. Thank you for listening.